it's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner joining you this afternoon. And we hope you had a wonderful weekend as it was all sunshine and absolutely glorious here this weekend along the Gulf Coast. And, of course, Alabama had their A-Day game this weekend. We'll be giving our thoughts on that throughout today's show. And, of course, we'll be talking about the A-Day attendance as well as Hugh Freeze's contract becomes public at Auburn. And Auburn has been one of those schools to where, again, over the past few years, they probably kicked out more money than they would have liked to their coaches who are no longer with them. So we'll talk about Hugh Freeze's contract. Also, of course, the big boxing bout this weekend, Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis. Give my thoughts on that. We had a particular athlete who called the correct round of this fight. We'll talk about that. And NBA playoffs are in full swing, of course. We'll be talking with Drew DeArmond, also Zach Blackerby today on the show. So, Michael, I don't know how your weekend went, but... Again, anytime you have an opportunity to sit back and enjoy and watch multiple spring football games, it doesn't get any better than that. Well, I got to go into Bryant-Denny Stadium, and it was 75 degrees and sunny, so it was uh, quite possibly perfect. You could even you could pull out the perfect word, I think, on that. Felt felt like a lot hotter than that on uh, on the one side of the stadium. Man, it was it was warm in there, but there were a lot of people there. There were way way more people in Bryant Denny than I expected. You had, you brought up the attendance thing. I, I think the reported was what fifty eight thousand, which you know Auburn reported sixteen thousand at theirs, which we saw. So take that specific number with a grain of salt. But the entire lower bowl was pretty much full. Uh, so you know way more attendance than I had ever seen in an A day before. So it was really nice to see. Perfect day. Uh, the field on the play obviously was not perfect, which we'll get into all of that, but just a great day overall for sure. Well, when you start talking about the play, and I think that that's a situation to where a lot of talking heads, including these two right here, yourself and I will be talking about the Alabama quarterback race because that's where all eyes were. And when you start looking at the statistics or the end game, I really think we're at the same pace as to where we were from. Did we really even learn anything from the A-Day game from a quarterback situation besides what a lot of people wanted to see? What is the third and fourth string quarterback going to look like for the Crimson Tide? Yeah, the short answer would be in terms of what did we learn from the quarterback battle would be not a whole lot. Uh, and I'm curious to hear Drew Armand's thoughts when we get him on at 3.30 because I think I saw on Twitter he, he was saying really good things about Ty Simpson and thinks he's kind of separated himself here. So it'll definitely be interesting to hear his perspective here at the bottom of the hour. Make sure you tune in for that. But all that being said, yeah, it, it's hard to get a read on 
a lot of it, uh, and for a couple of reasons. One, pretty much all four of the quarterbacks were victims of some bad drops from the receivers. Isaiah Bond had a couple of really bad drops. Uh, Jermaine Burton had an atrocious drop that I believe was thrown by Lonergan. It might have it might have been Ty Simpson. I can't remember. Uh, but yeah, just uh, kind of a sloppy day from the receiver group as a whole. And it kind of made it difficult. So take take a look at the. I mean, throw the stats are the stats for the quarterbacks, but you know you were really more so looking at can can these guys make the throws? Like I remember, for example, Eli Holstein. There was a point where it was third and eleven for Alabama, and he had just a a perfect kind of a dart that would have been about a twenty yard gain, and it really just bounced off Isaiah Bond's hand. So take the stats with. I'm going to say this a lot today because it's A-Day, so like the whole thing should be taken with a giant grain of salt. Ultimately, it is just a scrimmage, so it's not that big a deal. Like no, Nothing was won or lost in it. Uh, no, you know, no, no huge thing should be taken away from it, but I thought all the quarterbacks did some good and some bad. Jalen Milrow, <laughs> I mean, he had the best throw of the day on that 36-yard touchdown to Emmanuel Henderson in the corner of the end zone. That was an absolute dime. But he also had the worst throw of the day on just a head-scratching interception. It was actually back-to-back plays, I believe. Ty Simpson threw a pick right near the goal line, which wasn't... I mean, if he had put some touch on it instead of rocketed it in there, it probably would have been a touchdown. So kind of just a poor decision, poor throw. And then Jalen Milrow really just threw it to no one on the very next play, and that ball was returned to the one-yard line. Really, what ultimately led to the win for the Crimson team, if you want to take any stock into that. But... Yeah, uh, Dylan Lonergan and Eli Holstein both looked I, – I thought they looked pretty good. We'll, we'll see if this turns into a little bit more than a two-man race over the summer. I, I think that it's not going to be outside of a two-man race, but you definitely had to like what, what you saw in regards to how a third or fourth-string quarterback was able to lead the team down the field. And, again, yeah. there, there, there are no losses coming out of this game. There's just more speculation more than anything, than more, answers, more questions sure. and answers without a doubt. But, again, those two other scrimmages that they had on the Saturdays at Bryant-Denny Stadium that were closed to the public and closed to the media, Coach Saban, I know for a fact, would have come into his press conferences – absolutely scathed in the wide receivers and he made mention of it there were more drops in the a-day game for the public to view than they have had the entire 15 practices so that's something that when the lights shine the brightest sometimes that's what you want to see if you're a gamer or not and those can't be had you just cannot drop the football in those situations the drops were inexcusable again let's hope they get them out now because some of them were were just atrociously awful i think jermaine burton had the worst one of the day uh on what would have been a pass from again i believe ty simpson but could have been uh eli holstein it it, it was just not uh not pretty overall from the wide receiver group so whatever uh you know there's a lot of time to fix that and like nick saban said weren't weren't it's it's not like drops were an issue throughout the spring I do have a lot of confidence in this wide receiver group as a whole. How about Malik Benson on that last drive of the game? They, Nick Saban put Jalen Milrow back in the game, and I believe it was four plays in a row in those last in that last minute of the game. Malik Benson, Malik Benson, Malik Benson, Malik Benson touchdown. 
Uh, and four really nice throws from Milrow, to his credit as well, by the way. But Benson kind of, and again, it, it might have also been against kind of the third team defense at that point. So, and Benson hadn't really done much of anything throughout the game uh, before that. So, kind of whatever. But <laughs> he kind of took over that last drive a little bit. And that's what you have to see, though. I mean, when when you are the number one rated player either coming out of high school and or junior college, you want to see that type of production. You want to see guys make plays. Who's a gamer and who's not a gamer? And who can you depend on and who, who are you going to struggle with calling on their name? And, you know, as far as the quarterbacks are concerned, you knew exactly what you were going to be getting out of Jalen Miro. And I thought that one of those interceptions that he had that was kind of a Hail Mary, I think, yeah, was intercepted by Caleb, Caleb Downs. To me, that that's one that, again, the commentators were like, you can just kind of take that off of the sheet because they called it, timeout from like the 50 yard line. They just wanted to get a Hail Mary. Wanted to have an opportunity there. to see if you were going to be up and, and go and grab it. But you, when you're in game situations, I think that ball security was one of Nick Saban's most critical points that he was making for Jalen Miro coming into the offseason, you, you must take care of the football because it's not like we when he had the read option and he took it to the house, that's something that a lot of SEC teams are going to see. You're going to see a lot of that, and that's one of the things that when you are a runner, you have the capability of doing it. it it's, a, it's a read option. So if you're making the correct reads and you're able to take it to the house, by all means do so. But if you're able to stay in the pocket and go through your progressions, I think that's the, the biggest point as well. Being able to go through your progressions is what Nick Saban wants to see a lot of. And you did see some of that by both quarterbacks, which made Nick Saban pretty happy I, I with was your gonna, check downs there. I, I was going to say right after the Milrow read option touchdown, I think on the first play of the next drive, Ty Simpson took it, what, 50 yards on a read option of his own. So both quarterbacks have wheels. I, I think Ty Simpson, uh, he had a nasty juke in the second half too. I think uh, like, we, like we've been saying, I mean, no one was saying he was a statue, but I think Ty Simpson's wheels might be like the most underrated part of his game and, and, and might be sneaky like, lethally dangerous he he's that guy can move I, I will say this too though when you start looking at Georgia be, being back-to-back -back national champions there was nothing within this a-day game that really struck fear into any other member in the southeastern conference I think that when you start looking and evaluating the way that the quarterbacks have played there was nothing that they did to where when you knew Tua was coming in, you knew Tua was that guy. When Jalen Hurts came in, you knew what Jalen was going to bring to a spring game. You knew what Bryce Young was going to bring to a spring game. There's been more so who's going to start it at quarterback versus there being literally a quarterback competition. And I think it's Nick Saban's have had has had quarterbacks in the past that have been labeled as game managers. And that's okay because game managers at the end of the day get you wins also. And that's what it's all about. Don't lose the team. Don't make that mistake that hurts the team. And if your quarterback can do that, I don't have a problem calling Miro or Simpson a game manager. Well, it's interesting. You, I mean, the term game manager has kind of been – it's thrown around now these days in 2023 as like – 
almost, almost an insult to quarterbacks. And, and I understand why, because the game of football is just different than it was 10 years ago. I, I do think in college football in 2023, you need definitely more so than a game manager, uh, w w without a doubt. I mean, a Jake Coker is, is not going to win you a national – it's not going to produce an offense capable of winning you a national championship in 2023. Right? He's not going to put up 40 points a game w without – the run game that he had at the time that that's just reality and i love jake coker but uh you just need a quarterback who can add a dynamic threat throwing the ball and i think that's why a lot of people have had ty simpson kind of penciled in already as the starter and whether that ends up being the case we'll see because i don't know I'm, I'm still pretty unsold on ty simpson as well but i i, I just think the fact that Neither of these guys have demonstrated a, a an ability to bring the team to the next level by throwing the ball yet. And Ty Simpson hasn't started games, so, you know, fair play there. I I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. That's why I, I tend to think it's not impossible. It could end up being more than a two-man race. Well, if you do have more than a two-man race, of course, Nick Saban talked about it prior to and last week about the transfer portal. And there's been a lot of speculation about Auburn's transfer portal, about Alabama's transfer portal, but the advantage of having someone who's already in the room, who already has been around the team, who knows the system and understands the system. Again, I don't care if you're labeled as a game manager. That That's fine with me. That's not a knock to me on a quarterback because at the end of the day, as long as you're getting W's for your program and bringing national championships – that's fine. You can label A.J. McCarron a game manager. Yeah. You can label Coker a game manager 2023, 2018, 2015. It doesn't matter. In today's game, yesterday's game, the beginning of the game, the end of the day, the team with the most points wins it. And it doesn't say it has to be 2-0. to zero. It doesn't have to be 3-0. to zero. <laughs> Bottom line is – the end of the day, you win a national championship for your team by not hurting your team. Well, having a defense that isn't going to give up 40 would help, too. I, I mean, and yeah, slot A.J. McCarron or uh, Coker in at that point. But, I mean, look at the Tennessee game this past year. If it's – I mean, we've made this point. If it's any other quarterback besides Bryce Young that's ever put on Crimson, I think Alabama loses probably by three touchdowns at least just by just due to the fact, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a different nature of a game. He had to put up almost 50 to give Alabama – and it's a game they still should have won. They were up by seven with three minutes left. They should have won the game. Uh, but that being said, they had 49 points. I, I mean, and Tennessee had 42 at that point, and, and they still weren't able to get a stop. So it's just – I just think the nature of college football is just so different than it was 10 years ago that you need that guy who's going to elevate your offense. But – Anyway, I, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll see if – certainly both guys offer a rushing threat that neither quote-unquote game manager of past for Alabama would offer. So, so we'll see if uh, that brings another element as well. I don't know if it'll bring another element. I just think what Alabama fans wanted to see was someone have a game to where there were four or five touchdowns that were thrown, no interceptions, and just have an ability – to go out, Nick Saban said he wanted the guys to have fun, to play loose. And I think both quarterbacks that were labeled as you're you're my one, you're the crimson one, you're the white one, I think that you had an opportunity there to flourish. And that's what everyone wanted to see, someone have a dominant performance. 
But that decision to me is not going to be made until a week before kickoff, and that's what I'm looking for. You think it'll be that long? At, like until they absolutely, I, I think I think we'll go into the fall, we'll not not yeah. knowing. I, I, again, you're not going to determine who's the starting quarterback here in June, July, or August. I like Dylan Lonergan. I really like him. I I, I don't think he's going to be the starter, but I really he like Holstein too. I I think it's going to turn into more than a two man race. I, we'll talk about that, and also let's talk about the uh, these two freshmen, Justice Hands and Caleb Downs, on the other side here. Very very impressive players in. Nick Saban's been singing their praises the entire spring camp. And when you're an early enrollee and you have an opportunity to make the type of impact that they did in the A-Day game, definitely worth talking about. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5, Corey Labonte and Michael Bronner. War Eagle, this is Butch Thompson, head baseball coach at Auburn University. You're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner taking your telephone calls, 251-689. There we go, 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us, along with getting in touch with us in the app. And, of course, when you're sitting talking about Alabama and how they performed in the A-Day and the young players that really stood out, of course, breaking news comes in and we'll break in and make sure that all NFL draft related parties will be at walk-ons for WNSP's walk-on party that we'll be having. The final drive will be broadcast at 3 to 6 p.m. on Thursday from walk-ons on Airport Boulevard and of course we'll be having an opportunity for you to play general manager and have the correct draft order 1 through 10. If you're able to correctly pick that one through 10, you will have an opportunity to win the Traeger grill along with a Bryce Young jersey that will be given to us by the vault. So we appreciate the vault as well. And again, Michael, the breaking news, Adam Schefter, of course, always on top of the breaking news in the NFL. The New York Jets have officially acquired Aaron Rodgers. And you had a feeling that this deal was going to be done prior to the NFL draft because we felt that there would be compensation or draft picks that were going to be at will. And here it is, Aaron Rodgers for the Jets. They get Aaron Rodgers along with the number 15 pick and a 2023 fifth round pick, which is actually pick number 170. And you look at what the Packers are able to receive for giving up Aaron Rodgers they're going to move up to number 13. They get a 2023 second-round pick, a sixth-round pick in 2027, and a conditional 2024 second-round pick if Aaron Rodgers plays 65% of the plays for the Jets. And I, I think that when you start looking at it, I think it just makes both parties very happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, i kind of been sitting here hoping it wasn't going to happen. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they weren't talking for a few weeks, but yeah, it, it was inevitable. I mean, both sides needed to get it done. Aaron Rodgers obviously wasn't going to be a Packer anymore, and the Jets 
had no choice other than to make it happen, and whether they had to give up a little bit more than they initially wanted to to make it happen is kind of whatever. I mean, the the alternative was Zach Wilson being their quarterback again, which is not really much of an alternative at all. So it was inevitable, and we'll see how it works out. I mean, I think he's only going to play for a year, so we'll see what happens there. I did see he's, he's going to wear number eight, uh, which is... Odd. I I can already I can I can see Rogers eight on the Jets failing, so I'm just gonna hang my hat on that. Joe Namath gave him the blessing to wear number twelve, but he's still gonna wear number eight on the Jets, which I don't know, very visually unappealing. But anyway, we'll see how it works out. Obviously, Rogers not coming off a very good season, but he's still Aaron Rodgers. He's won two out of the last three MVPs, and the Jets have one of the better rosters in the league with what what has been some of, if not the worst, quarterback play in the league. So. They, on paper, should be very, very good. 7-10, the Jets finished up last season, last in the AFC East. And they were right behind the Patriots, who finished up at 8-9. And, and really, when you look at the division, the Bills at 13-3, and three, of course, the Dolphins floundered without Tua. But I think the Jets, you know, Aaron Rodgers, if he can flip that over to 10-7, and seven, and have an opportunity to get them in the playoffs, I think that that would make a lot of J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets fans extremely happy. Well, they haven't made the playoffs in a little over 10 years, so, uh, yeah, I think that would be pretty good for Jets fans. It's just you got to ask yourself what the plan is moving forward because, I mean, Jets fans may want to tell themselves they're Super Bowl contenders at this point, but they're not. They're not going to be – they're not better than the Chiefs. They're not better than the Bengals. They're not – better than i mean for my money the bills or a couple of other teams in the afc at this point the afc is significantly more loaded than the nfc and i think rogers plays for one year you kind of just gave up a big package to go get him so i mean if making the playoffs for and having aaron Rodgers be your quarterback and not zach wilson for years worth it to you i understand uh, but ultimately, I think the Jets will go back to irrelevancy once Aaron Rodgers ultimately retires. But we'll see what happens. Well, I think the biggest comparison that I want to see, even though they're in different divisions, the Saints finished up 7-10 and 10 a year ago, of course, having a new quarterback and Derek Carr. Now, can the Jets, after they finished up 7-10, and 10, which quarterback, first-year quarterback, overall will have a better NFL record? So that's something huh. I'm definitely – Looking forward to, to checking out, Bronner. It'll be close, but, you know, one is in the best division in football and one is in the worst division in football. So uh, who makes the bigger impact? Probably Aaron Rodgers, just because I think the Jets had the worst quarterback situation in the league and he is Aaron Rodgers, uh, whereas the Saints uh, obviously had very poor quarterback play as well. I don't think Derek Carr moves the needle as much as Aaron Rodgers, but yeah, like Luke Johnson said on Friday, I mean, I think you have to consider the Saints the favorites in the NFC South. But, yeah, I mean, talking about record, uh, again, one is in the worst division in football. One is, in in my opinion, the best division in football at this point. So we'll see what happens. I think both have a good chance to win 10 games. But certainly fascinating stuff coming out on draft week. Well, that's you don't expect anything else other than fascinating events to transpire again. I, I'll say it again. I did not expect the Chicago Bears to give up the overall number one pick. And now you're just going to have a lot of jockeying of positions. And again, come on out to walk-ons. If you think that you can pick the correct first 10 draft picks, come on down to walk-ons on Thursday. We'll have 
our show there from three to six. You'll have an opportunity to meet everyone here from WNSP. And we always look forward to giving out our freebies to the listeners. Our new WNSP t-shirts being one of them. Want to thank future ones for doing that. But interesting draft information is Aaron Rodgers officially now a New York Jet. The final drive coming up next, Drew DeArmond will talk to us what his thoughts were about the Alabama Crimson Tide spring game. This is Reese Dismukes. You're listening to 1055 WNSP. Alabama's A Day was this weekend, and all eyes were on the quarterback. We opened our show talking about, you know, I think there's going to be the same type of talking heads about in late August, early first week in September than there is now in regards to a quarterback just taking the bull by its horns and just really showing everyone, including the coaching staff, that they're ready to lead this team. But Drew DeArmond, always a pleasure to talk to him in North Alabama does a phenomenal job each and every day in the morning on 97.7 ESPN Drew good afternoon how you doing my brother good Corey how you doing bud man I'm absolutely blessed by the best and had a wonderful opportunity to to see some great spring football this weekend and what was your initial thoughts going in? Because, again, Milrow and Simpson, that, that's what everyone's been talking about, right? But when you saw, out of what you saw, was there a quarterback that really, you know, you thought that this is going to be the starter come September 2nd? Um, You know, I, I, I think it's still going to be decided in the fall. And basically from the intel that I got and – uh, you know, throughout the uh, spring practice, that's what I was, you know, anticipating coming in. Now, when spring started, I thought one would pull away from the other, and I thought Ty Simpson would be the guy, but it hasn't happened. Uh, I think, uh, you know, there. I do think that uh, Ty, uh, in my opinion, played, uh, you know, better than the numbers, uh, you know, show you uh, on Saturday. I think he had five or six drops, in my opinion. Uh, and then when I found when I found out on Sunday that he dislocated his thumb on the second series when he hit a helmet and basically played with it the rest of the game, then that showed me even more because I thought it showed a lot of toughness, and I because I thought he threw the ball pretty well, um, and I you know I watched you know all the QBs from the press box and thought he was going through his reads, going through them, his head was moving well, and he was getting rid of the ball for the most part on time. And, you know, again, and I thought he showed off outstanding mobility. He had six rushes for 58 yards in one of those scrimmages because you only have to touch a guy to, to, to down them. It's, it's tough to, you know, gauge that sometimes. But he did have a 45-yard run, and, I, and he's a lot, a lot more mobile than I think people understand. And so I thought he did a good job of, of uh, you know, kind of spreading the football out. And Milrow made plays like, you know, he's capable of. He had a, an outstanding 35-yard touchdown run. He had a Beautiful throw for 36 yards and a touchdown to C.J. Henderson. Had another really nice throw down the middle that should have been caught by certainly uh, Isaiah Bond, but was dropped. Uh, but again, I just felt like 
Once again, though, the ball didn't come out on time a lot of times and was inaccurate. So he's a supreme athlete. He's just never been consistent in the three years I've watched him as a passer. But, you know, we'll see. And then Dylan Lonergan, he was kind of the, the dark horse that, uh, you know, played well uh, behind the twos. I mean, especially for a true freshman who's only been there since January. I've been hearing he got more reps uh, this past week going into the game. And I can see why. He was very poised. Uh, he was 8 for 14, I think, for 79 yards, a touchdown uh, to Justice Haynes. And so I thought he did some nice things. And then, of course, Holstein uh, showcased his arm talent. He, he did hit a deep ball. But as Coach Saban said, he did seem to be a little hurried. And I, But I think what the two young guys proved is they're two good young players, but I still think it's a two-horse race. And certainly – Milrow has been patient. He stayed there. I think he deserves every opportunity to win the job. I just believe that with this Alabama team and the way it's being built, I think when I look at it, uh, I think that Ty Simpson uh, checks off just about every box, just needs more reps and more experience. But it's still going to be a battle, and it should be, you know, headed into fall camp, uh, you know, in uh, late July. Drew, it's kind of a wacky day overall on Saturday. Is it just the type of situation where you throw the stats out from a quarterback standpoint because there were so many drops, really, for all four guys? Uh, you know, in some ways. Uh, I think you, that, you, the way you have to evaluate it is, you know, were they throwing it to the right guy? Was it on time? Uh, you know, I was actually, uh, you know, a lot of people were talking about the quarterbacks and they were worried about them. I was more just disturbed at, at the at Jermaine Burton than anything. Uh, you know, and I know Vaughn didn't play well either, but, you know, he's made some plays. He's going to be a sophomore. He's got big play speed. I think he'll bounce back. The thing that bothers me about Burton is, you know, there's been this kind of inconsistency in his performance for his entire career, and not just at Alabama. It's happened at Georgia where he didn't consistently and he disappeared at times. And then I thought maybe that performance he had in the Sugar Bowl, which I thought he played well against K-State, uh, and then he decided to come back to school. I thought, okay, maybe this guy is going to mature and finally play, play consistent football because let's be honest, guys, if he had been elite throughout his career, he wouldn't be at Alabama right now. He'd be in the NFL after three years. But he, uh, he has not been consistent. I know his draft grade when he came when it came back, it had to have been a fourth or a fifth round grade, you know, late second, early, you know, early third day kind of thing. So he came back, which you understand. But he goes out there and he just does not play well at all. I mean, Ty Simpson, you know, hit him three or four times. I mean, he, he would have had a chance to be MVP of the game if he catches that ball in the end zone that really I thought should have been a touchdown for about forty yards, another twenty yards, you know, uh, you know, uh, out from uh, Simpson, that when Ty got outside the pocket and hit him in the face mask, I mean, either Ty or, you know, or uh, Burton could have been MVP of this game. But I thought Burton let some opportunities, you know, uh, you know, uh, go through his hands literally. And it was disappointing because I think the young man's capable, uh, but he has to, you know, put it all together. Now, hopefully he'll do that in the fall because, like we said, uh, there's been a lot of A-Day stars that didn't translate into the fall. There's been some Four performances in a day that didn't carry over. Uh, so even the you know guys, the, the great uh, uh, AJ McCarron from your era, from your area. I mean, he had some a, a, an a day game where he didn't play as well. But uh, so I don't think you put too much stock in it. 
but it is a little concerning going into the fall. And so, but I will say this: I, I took more out of that the defense looked improved and that they looked well coached and that they were in the right place at the right time than I did, you know, being concerned about the QBs because I think the QB uh, situation is going to play itself out in fall camp. Yeah, let's talk about the defense for a second because they seem to keep. I, I think it was twelve total sacks between the two teams. I, I, I mean, I understand that the starting five, quote-unquote, wasn't playing together on the offensive line or what it ultimately will be, the starting five, but I mean, do you, are you concerned that it kind of looked like the offensive line struggled to stop the defense, or did that say more about the fact that this defense is really that good? Well, I think the defense improved. I mean, I, look, man, I mean, sacks in an, in an A-day game when you can breathe on the quarterback and get a sack, sometimes, you know, you can't – <laughs> That's something you can't, uh, you know, kind of – sometimes you just kind of have to shrug that and you have to understand that, okay, in a real game, probably wouldn't have been a sack. But, again, you have, to, you, have, you, you have to be encouraged, though, because I think when you realize that Dallas Turner and, and, uh, and Chris Braswell, the two starters at outside linebacker, did not play all spring, I, it was an opportunity. And personally, you know, I know the MVP of A-Day was Malachi Moore. He played very, very well, three sacks of his own from the star spot, made several tackles and plays. Um, and then I know the lineman of the game was Tim Smith, and he's a rising senior that needs to play consistently. But quite frankly, I, my, my MVP was Quandarius Robinson because I thought he had two or three sacks. He was very disruptive. He took advantage of those two guys in Dallas Turner being out and, of course, Chris Braswell. And I think he's bided his time. He's a senior already. It's hard to believe from Jackson Owen. And I think – He's got a chance to be a good a good rotational player. And then Keanu Coot on the other side, he took advantage of it as well. But I think what you, what, what you did figure out is uh, while there was the same starting five on the O-line the entire spring pretty much when you're talking about Seth McLaughlin at center, uh, Darian Dalcourt at left guard, Tyler Booker at right, and then, uh, and then the left tackle was Elijah Pritchett and the right tackle was J.C. Latham. When you saw that second offensive line, which is, of course, where uh, you know Ty Simpson played and, and Dylan Lonergan, and you see a guy like Caden Proctor and how massive he is, I think one of the bigger battles besides quarterback between Milrow and Ty in the fall is going to be uh, the, with the battle at left tackle between Elijah Christian and Caden Proctor because I remember several years ago when he came out of uh, you know, Louisiana, Cam Robinson struggled as a freshman. Uh, in the spring and then improved exponentially in the next three months and then became a freshman All-American. And we all know he's making a lot of money with the Jacksonville Jaguars right now at West Monroe, Louisiana. So I can just – I think one of the biggest battles is going to be at left tackle because Caden Proctor was one of the top two tackles in the country and he certainly looked the part on Saturday. So that's kind of what I took out of it. I, they did give up some sacks. But I think, again, the linebacker course got a lot of depth. But I think the O-line is still improved, especially run blocking from a run blocking standpoint. But the pass protection is still an issue. And I think that bodes to a battle at left tackle between a couple of good young players in Elijah Pritchett and Caden Proctor. We're talking to Drew DeArmond, host of Talking Ball on Huntsville's 97.7 The Zone. And, Drew, when you start looking – overall at what Alabama the surprises in regards to having freshmen to touch the field and and having guys that 
really could still be in high school. Justice Haynes, one of those guys for Coach Saban that Coach Saban's talked about all spring long. Just continued to be productive in the A-Day game, whether it was not necessarily having a lot of rushing yards, but showing that he can be a very versatile back to go along with Jace McClellan. Oh, no question, uh, Corey. I mean, you know, everything, you know, we heard since he got there for bowl practice before the Sugar Bowl against K-State, he just absolutely impressed everyone. And then it started in the spring and then continued. And then getting to see him on Saturday, personally, I voted him as my MVP. He had three touchdowns and I think 64 all-purpose yards. And the amazing thing is, you know, his football mind already. He's already really good in pass protection. They trust him there. And then you saw him running on the goal line. He had two short touchdown runs. And Alabama has struggled along the goal line the last couple years. And then he had the six-yard touchdown catch. He had four catches for 40 yards. They already trust him as a receiver uh, with his assignment. So he's definitely, uh, you know, a savant. He's advanced beyond a shadow of a doubt. He reminds me of another Mark Ingram. And And the reason that I still love Mark to this day and you know, the fans, you know, uh, they remember him, but a lot of times it's always the next guy that you become infatuated with. But what set Mark apart was his IQ. He came in as a freshman as well and made an impact in the first game uh, against Clemson going forward in his career. And what he did was he was extremely intelligent and he had great vision. And I think that's what you see with Justice Haynes. He has great vision, really good size for a true freshman. And he's someone that, uh, you know, I think can be a very, very special player. I think the running back room's loaded. We saw Jam Miller uh, make some nice runs. And we also saw Roy Dell Williams and Jace and, of course, McClellan. Jace is a, a very good player. And then uh, that doesn't even count, uh, you know, the, the true freshman from, uh, you know, from, uh, uh, from Miami or, excuse me, from Florida that's going to be there, uh, you know, uh, in, in, uh, in just a few weeks in June. So they're going to be loaded in the running back room. But, yeah, I mean, Justice Haynes is special. There's no doubt about it. And he is definitely going to push others for playing time. And he's going to force his way into the lineup. I don't know if he'll start the first game, but he's definitely going to be involved early, no question. Drew, I think the last thing a lot of people wanted to talk about and know was the fact that Alabama still had a lot of guys that did not play at all that are going to be kind of fitted to be starters for Nick Saban. But what this spring and going into the fall is going to do is gives the guys an opportunity to get quality reps while certain guys weren't able to play due to rehabbing injuries or not taking a, a chance to get them hurt any further. Yeah, no question. I think it, you know, we were just talking about that. You know, the injuries opened the door, you know, for, you know, guys like Quandarius Robinson and, uh, and, uh, of course, uh, Keanu Coote. It definitely did. Even Jeremiah Alexander. Uh, but you, when you think about this defense with Deontay Lawson from y'all's deck of the woods, Mobile Christian back, he finished the year really strong last year on the field in the Sugar Bowl. He's probably going to be your Mike linebacker. Uh, next to Trez Marshall, or even a guy like Justin Jefferson, who really impressed me with his speed. He's not the tallest guy, but, you know, watching him run guys down from the back end was really exciting. Uh, And so I think, you know, when you think about him and you think about, uh, you know, uh, Dallas Turner and, and of course, Chris Braswell being back along with John Marion Latham, I mean, and then a boy beat, uh, you know, you know, made some plays in the spring game, but he 
he just got cleared. So we just we're just now seeing him get back to football shape. I think that should excite you, especially defensively. I think that means this defense could be even better. And now we'll see if they add a piece in the transfer portal. Like, you know, after watching it, guys, and watching this team, uh, you know, I've I've kind of changed my opinion on uh, adding an, anybody on the offensive line. I think they've got those pieces. If I were Nick Saban in the coming days and the right piece, uh, you know, uh, appeared in front of me uh, in the portal and was interested, you might add a DB with experience, especially at corner, because you've got Kool-Aid McKinstry, who I think is going to be one of the best in the country, uh, and Terry on Arnold. But you don't have a lot of experience behind him. Des Rick, Antonio Kite, that's probably your next two. So if you could add an experienced corner, maybe a defensive lineman. We saw Barry Alexander go to USC, but if you could add a DL. And then if there was the right quarterback, maybe. But, again, I still think the answer at quarterback is on your team. And I think it's more important to retain the quarterbacks you have because right now I just don't see an obvious one out there that's an upgrade. Uh, maybe there will be a graduate transfer after the portal closes, and maybe that's the answer for Auburn if a guy like Grayson McCall goes back in the portal, uh, you know, if he graduates. But right now, I don't see an upgrade for Alabama, guys. But uh, we'll see. But certainly, as we said, you know, they're going to – I think they're going to run the football with those five backs. And we, as we said, Richard Young's going to be there in June. And I think the identity of this team is going to be physicality and trying to take, you know, four off the quarterback. And, you know, the quarter, I, I'm not saying he's going to be a game manager. I'm just saying I don't think you're going to depend on him to be the playmaker maybe we saw out of Bryce Young last year. It's going to be a little bit of a different style. And so I just think right now, if you're Alabama, I still like where they are. I think they're in good shape. It's just the quarterbacks that they have need to mature a little bit. And that's not a bad thing. It kind of reminds me of A.J. McCarron and Phillip Sims in 2011. That played itself out. Wouldn't surprise me if both quarterbacks play against Middle Tennessee in September. And then you decide on a guy with Steve Sarkeesian coming to town in week two. Drew, last question for you here as we're wrapping up. How can people follow everything and all of your coverage of Alabama? Uh, no problem, man. Uh, they can follow me at Drew D 977 ESPN. That's my personal account. Uh, also, our station at 977 ESPN. They can also follow us on the Blitz Sports. We have a Blitz Sports radio app. We've been going strong since late July. It's an extra hour for us. We talk recruiting. We talk sports. Uh, you know, we talk to a lot of coaches and, and young student athletes who sign with colleges and universities. Uh, we're excited about it. On Talking Ball tomorrow, we'll have Chaney Johnson, who is uh, going from UAH to Auburn. So we're excited for his opportunity. But, uh, yeah, that's that way they can follow us. And uh, we always appreciate it. We enjoy being on in the Port City of Mobile, Corey, and uh, continued success with the show, brother. Thank you so much, Drew. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Drew DeArmond joining us this afternoon on the final drive. And we'll be right back. Hey, this is Jake Tilker, quarterback at Alabama. And when I'm listening to the radio, I'm listening to WNSB. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Want to thank Drew DeArmond for jumping on with this, talking what he saw at the Tides A Day game. And of course, NBA action continues tonight. Milwaukee at Miami. And Miami's going to be without Victor Oladipo, who has a patellar tendon tear in his knee. And of course, without Tyler Hero also in Memphis and L.A. 
that series two games to one and Dylan Brooks, the last time we saw him, he was literally poking the bear, poking the bear somewhere he should not have been poking the bear. And again, that low blow versus LeBron James on Saturday's game. We'll see if the Lakers can go ahead and take care of business here against the Grizzlies. And this weekend, you had New York over Cleveland, Golden State over Sacramento, Boston over Atlanta, and Minnesota over Denver in overtime. And some pretty good series in regards to Golden State and Sacramento and New York and Cleveland. So looking forward to those games. Next hour, of course, we do have Zach Blackerby that will be joining us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. And then, of course, we'll be talking Ryan Garcia versus Tank Davis as well. Hugh Freeze, new contract at Auburn. Those numbers are revealed. And the A-day attendance are those numbers are they kind of inflated a little bit? Or are they pretty accurate? We'll talk about all that and next on The Final Drive. Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And, of course, breaking news. Aaron Rodgers is officially a New York Jet. And when you look at the compensation for both teams, the Jets, of course, they get Aaron Rodgers, and he will be wearing the number eight for New York. And, of course, the Jets also get pick number 15, a 2023 fifth-round pick. And the Packers... On the other hand, they get pick number 13 and a second round 2023 pick, a sixth round, which is pick number 207 and a conditional 24 second round pick. And that's if Aaron Rodgers plays 65 percent of the plays for the Jets. And I, I just think if you're the Jets, you were seven and ten a year ago. You drafted Zach Wilson number two overall in 2021. And now you're going to be in a situation where you have Aaron Rodgers for at least an, a year. And you're absorbing a little bit of his or all of his contract as far as what is due to him immediately. And Aaron Rodgers is just one of those quarterbacks. who He's going to get paid. And I think that because he's getting paid with the Jets, can he make them better than 7-10? and 10? The Jets franchise I think have not reached a playoff in o over 12 years. I believe it's 2012 is the last one. So so that's quite a long time to sit there if you're a Jets fan and wait to even make the playoffs. But is 
that situation, $59.465 million in salary, guaranteed salary and bonus for Aaron Rodgers this season. That's how bad the Jets want to come out of the basement in their division. Yeah, I mean, there was no restructuring of the contract. It's just uh, the terms of the big deal that Rodgers got with the Packers. I believe the extension was l- before this past season, uh, which was obviously you know a big sign of trust that Rodgers was going to continue to be the quarterback of, no, I wouldn't say the future, but at least the present for the Packers. And obviously things went very south this year. They traded Devontae Adams after Rodgers had signed the contract. There was kind of this whole if you want to call it drama as to whether Rodgers knew when he signed the contract that they were going to trade Devonta Adams ultimately he kind of said he did but uh obviously the, the big issue with the Packers offense this year depending on who you ask was the weapons and, and Rodgers overall wasn't very good with the Packers this past season he didn't look like himself there were a lot of games where he was just missing throws and uh, I wouldn't say he was a bad quarterback, but he just wasn't the MVP guy that he's been in years past, and uh, there certainly are a number of factors as to why that was. But even if there were certainly moments where you can't blame it on anyone else but him just not looking like himself. And all that being said, it was kind of a question as to whether he was going to retire or not or what what he was going to do, and uh, ultimately he decided he wanted to play for the Jets. No other team was really in on the Rodgers sweepstakes, which seemed odd and at the time, and still does seem odd, frankly. Uh, like, the Raiders would have been a team that made sense with Devontae Adams, but ultimately they go get Jimmy G for a pretty cheap contract. Uh, but yeah, it was really only the Jets, and this trade has seemed inevitable for like a month now, and Ultimately, it gets done today, right before the draft. And someone says in the app, like, Jets still won't be the best team of the division. Pathetic waste of assets. Is Rodgers even top five anymore? No, he's not top five no, anymore. I mean, he's, he's, right, Absolutely in that, he's not. right in that range. I, he, yes, he's coming off a bad season, but you have to understand he won the two MVPs the year. Yeah, I mean, I understand it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately type league, but you also have to understand uh, he's the back-to-back MVP right before that, and they underwent tremendous transitions on offense this past year. Uh, top five, I, wherever you want to put him, I think he's in that range, certainly in that discussion. I certainly would put him firmly inside or outside the top five, like right around top five, where, wherever you want to put it. But yeah, they won't be the best team in the division. It's the best division in football. And now they just got a quarterback who's going to go out and allow them to compete in the best division in football. Are they on the Bills level? No. Uh, are they on the Dolphins level? That remains to be seen. They got to go beat the Patriots, a team that's beaten them 14 times in a row. But certainly on paper, they should be better than the Patriots. Well, that's uh, tough to admit, but we'll see. Well, you know, the lights always shine brighter in New York, and especially with the Jets. I mean, you you know Green Bay being a historic franchise in regards to, to being on a, a season ticket waiting list for 15 or 16 years. But, you know, Green Bay is one of those small markets, and he controlled that small market. But to me, when he signed a three-year, $150 million contract extension in March of 2022 – That led Packer fans to feel like he was going to retire a Green Bay Packer. So even if you trade all his assets away, what better assets does he have now that he's with the Jets? Because you look at where the Packers set and became. They were 8-9 and a year ago. 8-9. and So I just don't think there's no way 
with the Packers being eight and nine a year ago, whether Rodgers was healthy, injured, doesn't matter, on mushrooms, whatever you <laughs> want to call it. I think that what he's going to have to do for the Jets and the expectations and the bright lights of New York City are much brighter than what they were in Green Bay. Uh, yeah, I mean, they are. Uh, I think that narrative is a little bit overstated. You're the quarterback of the Packers. You're the court. I mean, he's Aaron Rodgers. The NFL is what the NFL is. It's dominates the media cycle 24 seven. It's why we spend a lot of time even on this station talking about the NFL, even as we sit here in April. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think the pressure of going from green Bay to New York, I, I don't think it's anything Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be able to handle now, whether the physical ability isn't there anymore or not is another question. Uh, talking about supporting cast. I, I definitely do think he's taking a step up here in terms of what he has. I, I think Garrett Wilson is about to burst onto the scene this season as an elite wide receiver in the NFL. He just coming off a great rookie year, first-round pick from Ohio State last year. I, I'm very, very high on Garrett Wilson. I, I think he's spectacular. They did just sign out his Rodgers' buddy, Alan Lazard, from the Packers as a nice wide receiver, too. You also bring in Miko Hardman and still Corey Davis on the team. I mean, they have a they have a solid cast of weapons on that team. They'll get Brees Hall coming back off a of torn ACL, uh, who was off to a spectacular start in his rookie year. And then not to mention something, it's not like Rodgers hasn't had uh, weapons in Green Bay this past year, say what you want, but Devontae Adams he had for a lot of his career, Jordy Nelson he had for a lot of his career. I mean, he's had the weapons. It's more so than anything been the lack of an elite defense, and that's something he is certainly coming to in New York. I think New York has probably at least on paper a top five defense in the league and it certainly performed as such this past year it's why they won seven games at with the worst quarterback play in the league again Zach Wilson and Mike White the combination I mean, it was it was atrocious it was some of the worst quarterback play I've ever seen frankly I Zach Wilson it was genuinely awful uh, and they still found a way to win seven games, again, because of the fact that the defense is that good. And it's just one of the better young rosters in the league that the big issue has been now for, for a couple of years, the quarterback play. So even if Rodgers is a shell of what he once was, what he once was is a, like a five-time MVP. So he's not going to come in and be bad. I, I think if you're the Jets, you had to make this move. Well, he's, much, he's a much-needed upgrade from Zach Wilson. And I think that's without question. But when you start looking at, in 2021, you drafted Zach Wilson. And is that enough time to see what he's capable of? Is this the franchise for you? Because you, unlike when you sign that second contract or when you're open up to negotiate and you want to trade, you don't determine where you go in the NFL draft when you're drafted. And Zach Wilson being the BYU guy, do I think that he was worth the Jets choosing him as an overall number one quarterback? Probably not. But now that he's going to be a backup, because you're surely you're not going to you're not going to trade him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not worth anything. In a in, in you're a not going to trade him. So you're going to sit there and, and hopefully learn from Aaron Rodgers to where now Zach Wilson continues to be the future quarterback for the Jets, because. Aaron Rodgers is not going to give you more than two years Max. in New York. Max, yeah. So, one. Zach Wilson, you're going to have to start going somewhere else. So, it, it's to me, Aaron Rodgers are bust for the Jets. Yeah, for the like I said, I they, they had to make this deal. Whether Zach Wilson could still develop into a good NFL quarterback, I don't know. But the fact of the matter is he's been 
atrociously awful. I mean, he was the reason that they lost a lot of the games they won. I can certainly speak on both Patriots games this year. The the reason why they lost those games was because Zach Wilson simply could not complete a pass that an NFL quarterback has to make time and time and time and time and time again. Just terrible, terrible, terrible quarterback play. And again, he's made some plays both in college and in the NFL that make you say, wow, this guy could be an elite quarterback, but they have been few and far between in the NFL. I mean, it's why he was drafted second overall right behind Trevor Lawrence, but it's just there there hasn't he hasn't shown enough in his two years for the Jets to not make a move like this and and we'll see if you know maybe he can develop a little bit under Aaron Rodgers like it's not even really mental mistakes from him I guess it is mental mistakes too it's been a lack of accuracy and just a overall disgusting ability to play the position in the NFL it's it's been that bad and you the option of rolling out Zach Wilson again for year three, it's been bad enough that that wasn't a legitimate option for a roster that really is ready to win now. It just wasn't an option. You you could not go with Zach Wilson again this year. You would have been better off with Jimmy Garoppolo, with uh, pretty much anyone else, like literally anyone else. It's been that bad. Well, what's interesting about the Jets, again, you look at his 2021 season nine touchdowns 11 interceptions then you look at what he was able to do in 2022 six touchdowns seven interceptions before he was shown his seat and this is someone to where you you really thought that he was your franchise future but for the Jets is just making the playoffs a step in the right direction because now If you get Aaron Rodgers and you don't make the playoffs and you find a way back into that basement, because there's no way you're going to supersede Buffalo. Do I think you can split with Miami and New England? Sure. I do. I think you can split with them. But at the same time, do you are you going to make the playoffs by losing to Buffalo twice, splitting with Miami and New England? No. So I just don't see how Aaron Rodgers, does that make Aaron Rodgers want to come back to play a second year with the Jets if they don't make the playoffs? No, because he's getting paid regardless. And that's the thing about that guaranteed money. When you know it's guaranteed, yeah, those bright lights shine differently. But I just think that it is a situation to where the Jets are still going to struggle to make the playoffs. Uh, Yeah, and again, I I, I don't think the – I would probably agree with you there, but I don't think they're going to struggle to make the playoffs because – Rodgers is going to struggle. I think they're going to struggle to make the playoffs because the AFC, and more specifically the AFC East, is that good. I I mean, the AFC East is the strongest division in football. The Bills are probably going to win the AFC East. But you could make a case for really all four teams. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to say all four teams. But in in terms of the AFC, you got the Chiefs, you got the Bills, you got the Bengals. I think think the Jaguars this year are going to take a step up with – Trevor Lawrence is going to continue to get better. I think the Chargers will continue to get better with Justin Herbert. There's a lot of really good young quarterbacks in the AFC, so there's just a ton of guys and a ton of teams in the AFC that make it so that I I, I don't think the Jets have a chance to win the Super Bowl this year. I just don't. I no, think the AFC and there's is too no strong. way. I mean, Super Bowl and Jets. The, the only thing that goes with Super Bowl and Jets is Joe Namath. That's it. That's the only. That's the only way you can even come close to uttering that in a complete sentence. Super Bowl and Jets. Absolutely. No way, shape, form, or fashion. And anybody, I don't care how passionate a Jets 
fan you are. You got hold of some of Aaron Rodgers' mushrooms <laughs> if that's where you feel he's going to take you. If he takes you to the playoffs, okay, you're probably happy. But at the same time, there's no way Super Bowl and Jets that this trade is what got them there. And the Jets, again, they have pick number 15. So do they find an offensive weapon to help them? Because the defense is pretty stout. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say if Rodgers is able to turn back the clock year and return to MVP form, you got to throw the Jets in, in terms of a Super Bowl contender because the rest of the roster is that good. And like we've said, they've been missing the quarterback for years now. So if Rodgers is able a to Super return, Bowl contender, if, though. yes, if Aaron Rodgers is playing at MVP level, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to go to the Jets and play at an MVP level. Man, so. he hasn't. It, again, you're talking about a guy who won two MVPs in a row. I understand that last year he wasn't very good, but you're talking about a guy who won two MVPs in a row. Right, right before last year. Good for so. him. Good for him again. But what have you done for me lately? And that's where we are now. We're we're pushing toward the 2024 Super Bowl. And to say that he could possibly even help the Jets be in contention for a Super Bowl, Michael, I I, I will say that someone in the app said eight quarterbacks or better. And I I would yeah, have he, to he, agree. He, he that tried to sneak Tua in that conversation, but uh. Well, at this point in time, Tua oh, no. played better than Aaron Rodgers did a year ago. Oh, no. So I, I just don't see how, again, oh, no. There, there, there's you nothing wrong You think Tua is better than Aaron Rodgers? From a career standpoint, no. Absolutely well, obvious, not. Well, obviously not from a career standpoint, but like today, right now. I would take Tua oh, over Aaron. Oh, no. Yes, I Corey. would. Absolutely, I would. You can't say that. Absolutely, oh, I would take Tua. No. I would take any of the quarterbacks that were listed before this This app user says Patrick Mahomes, of yes, course. Obviously. Joe Burrow, yes. Bur Burrow of course. Of course. Josh Allen, of course. Of Even course. Lamar Jackson, mm, of course. Jalen Hurts. Sure. Yes. Justin Herbert, of course. Yes. I, I just, Aaron Rodgers, to me, he, he's at the show me stage. Show me what you can do as the old guy, as you are. It's won two of the last three MVPs. What do you mean show him what you can do? Show, show me. Show me. Show me with the Jets. Show me with the Jets what you can do. Again, That's, I'm not saying the guy's going to come in and win another MVP, but it's certainly a big upgrade from what they had, and he's certainly better than Tua. Come on. Come on. Two of the last three MVPs? Come on. Tua is a better quarterback right now oh than Aaron Rodgers. Oh, my God. That's got to be in in the, in the what, two months since we've been doing this show? That's got to be the worst take yet. Come on. Tua better than Aaron Rodgers? No. Come right on. Right now. Oh. You, you want to sit there and paint a nice, broad picture of his overall career? Okay. All right. Yes. Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback oh, than Tua. God. But right now, no, sir. I, I, I have to I have to disagree with you on that one. And disagree wow. tremendously with you on that one. Wow. I I I'm I'm struggling on that one. I'm well, struggling hey, on look, that. Hey, look, there's plenty of time for us to sit there and look at it as soon as we come back here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5 with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner.
Hey, this is Showtime boxing analyst Steve Farhood, and you're listening to Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Of course, before the break, we were talking about the greatness of Aaron Rodgers and Tua Tungabailoa in regards to right now. And again, say what you want to about Aaron Rodgers. Can't take anything away from everything that he's been able to accomplish and will go down as one of the greatest NFL quarterbacks of all time. And you can have that debate on whether you want to go Tom Brady, Joe Montana, or you want to go Aaron Brady. Oh, excuse me, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Brady. Yeah, that, that Tom Brady. I'd be a hell of a quarterback. Now that, that's a combination right there that we all would love to see. But when you look at his stats from last year, Aaron Rodgers, to me, doesn't have that same type of, of mojo. Now, the motivation may be there in New York. He may have all along said, hey, look, I'm going to do this to tank in Green Bay and, and to get the hell out of Green Bay, and that's what I want to do. And ultimately, that's what's been done. But when you start looking at now that he's going to be in the same division with Tua, it'll be something that throughout this NFL season, you and I definitely will be keeping an eye on. Yeah. Because now you've got an opportunity in the same division, Mike, to look at Tua versus Aaron. And that's 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 what everybody wants Josh to see. Josh Mac. And again, with with your team, because if if Rodgers becomes what a lot of people feel he still has in the tank, that he has something left in the tank, and becomes worth that fifty two or fifty three million dollars guaranteed that he's getting paid, then we're going to have an opportunity for sure to see me as a Dolphins fan to get my feelings hurt, you as a Patriots fan to get your feelings hurt, mm. but to definitely make the Jets fans who haven't sniffed or seen the playoffs in 12 years to make them extremely happy. And that's that's what I'm looking forward to, to see what he can do in this division versus Tua. So now you you definitely have Tua versus Aaron. And head-to-head, toe-to-toe, Mac Jones, we'll see what he's able to do. Yeah. And, of course, him calling the signals, that'll be fun. You got Josh, Aaron, Mac. Tua, that's that's a nice order of quarterbacks in the division, I believe. But uh, we've we've had the Mac Tua debate enough. We can we can save that for uh for for another day later this week or something. But we got a caller. We'll go to Elvis. Elvis on the line. How are you doing, my friend? What's going on, boys? Ah uh, man, just another beautiful day hey, in Mobile, uh, Alabama. Let me let me let me preface all this by saying I am not I'm not a homer for Aaron Rodgers. Having said that. You guys are missing the boat completely about last year, man. I believe that his thumb was way worse than anybody knew. And to his credit, he didn't say anything about it. But he played most of the year with a broke thumb. Yeah. I mean, the guy had been doing it for too long for all of a sudden he forgot how to throw a ball into a tight window. He'd been doing it for you know 15 years at the NFL level as well as anybody has ever done it in the NFL. And what what happened? I mean, he broke his hand. Now, 
Having said all that, one of the reasons that I'm not an Aaron Rodgers fan, in addition to all the drama, that's probably the number one reason, we have a very large uh, data set that tells you exactly what he is. He's a very good, even dominant, regular season quarterback. That is it. I mean, he he has had so many opportunities in the postseason and failed to get it done. He's got a sub-500 record as a starter in the postseason, and I'm and I'm not even counting that what amounted to a playoff game last year when they had to beat the Lions, and he lost that one at home. He's lost multiple NFC title games, many of them at home, many of them when he individually played terribly. He's a great regular season quarterback, and that's what he is. They're not going to win the Super Bowl. They're not going to win the division. And having said all of that, man, I'll go with this last, I think I heard you say Tua was better than than he, uh, he did say than, that than Rogers. I'm sure I'm sure I misheard you. No, Elvis, that Elvis, I did I did say that. I said right now Tua Tungavailoa is better than Aaron Rodgers right now because Aaron Rodgers will definitely have an opportunity to see Tua Tungavailoa twice head to head if Tua is on the field. Is Aaron going to play? I mean, that's the that's the uh, he thing. He played the whole season through a broken thumb. Aaron Rodgers doesn't have like an injury history, missing a lot of games at all. Did, did he win? Nails. Did he win? Did he win? Did he win what? Games. He's won a it, Super Bowl. He's it, won five. Did MVPs. he win games for the Packers? Oh, this past season. Did, yeah. Did he win games for the Packers? He won eight games. Eight know? games. They, they, had a, they had a poor season. Yeah. Okay. So with the Jets, with him going to the Jets, it's a situation to where again we'll see. We'll see within the division. What's great about this debate is it's definitely going to be held over for the NFL season as well. And again, if Aaron Rodgers is healthy and he's mentally in the game and checked in, I think he'll be checked in. We'll have a chance to see if Aaron Rodgers wants to say, look, I'm going to go ahead and win another most valuable player and I'm going to take the Jets in the brightest city in the world, New York, East New Ruther York, New York, East Rutherford, New Jersey, going to have an opportunity to continue to put the Jets on the map the to, issue, to make them relevant. The issue with this debate, and, and this is, I think, a big reason why Tua was performing as well as he was last year, is supporting cast. And I think, like we said in the last segment, I think Rodgers is going to a better supporting cast than he had in Green Bay. But it's a reason why I think Mac Jones is better than Tua. I think Tua is carried by what he has and is arguably, not arguably, I think he is in the best situation in football when you factor in receivers and play callers. So, yeah, Tua's when he's on the field, I think uh, numbers-wise he'll look fine. He'll do fine. Uh, doesn't mean if you ask Mike McDaniel which quarterback he'd rather have, he'd take uh, he'd take Tua over Rodgers. Of course he wouldn't. He'd be insane to. I mean, I guarantee you the Dolphins wish they took Justin Herbert over Tua. That's no. not even it. Oh, my God. What Different you... coaching staff. Oh, So you no. can't say that. Different coaching staff. Because just because you fit into one coaching scheme does not mean you fit in another. One's got an arm. One doesn't. Again, coaching philosophies are totally different. You have to have the fitting pieces to the puzzle. If you don't have the fitting pieces to the puzzle, a quarterback coach or a head coach can have your back and the owner not. Do you think and now there's a deception as to who you want to draft, which is what we're going to see on Thursday. The same thing. You're going to have coaches who want a, a particular owner to draft offensively or defensively, and the owner's going to go in a different direction. Do you think Tua is better than Justin Herbert? No. Okay. All right. So, I, all right. Just clear. Just making sure. Just clearing no. that up. But, uh, 
anyway, but yeah, I mean, I like I said, I guarantee you, Mike McDaniel would rather have Tua or would rather have Justin Herbert than Tua. That, but that's a whole separate conversation too. Uh, yes, I think Justin Herbert would fit into pretty much any system. He's accurate. He has a giant arm. He can move. I mean, he's kind of the mold of a perfect quarterback. He's got some work to do in terms of playoff success. But I also think, talk about supporting cast. Think he hasn't been surrounded by exactly elite play around him while while Tua has. So. You know, I just think there's more to it than did he win games? Did his team have success? I just think there's wins are not necessarily only a quarterback stat, and there's more to it than that. So, well, well again, it, it boils down to you want to see any pro- big time player have success with the Giants the way Eli Manning did, because no one thought Eli Manning was going to sit and win two Super Bowls with the Giants. Yeah, I mean, but he's in he, the bright lights were on him. He, he's won more than the, the other franchises in New York has, whether outside of the Rangers playing hockey. But the you look at the Mets, the World Series haven't come there. The, the, the World Championships have not come to other franchises such as the Knicks. And for him to try to even put the Jets outside of the bottom of that division, at the end of the day, the Jets upgraded. And that's what's important. And it makes that division better because we all love to see what Josh Allen does, the way he throws the pigskin around and, and his accuracy. And you put that along with Aaron Rodgers, Tua Tungavailoa, and now it's a division that's just exciting football. Exciting football, Michael Bronner. Looking forward to, to following it as we continue to get closer to the NFL draft. And don't forget, come out to walk-ons with us on this coming Thursday. We'll have the final drive there from 3 to 6. And then, of course, the draft starts at 7 o'clock. Have an opportunity to win a Traeger grill or a Bryce Young jersey. Make sure you come out and become that general manager. Make those decisions on paper 1 through 10. And if you're the winner, that's the prize that you'll receive. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is David Morris of QB Country. When I'm in my car, I always have it tuned in to 105.5 WNSP, the sports station. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And we were talking a little bit about Auburn and what they're paying Hugh Freeze and Hugh Freeze's average salary now, six and a half million over the course of six years. And with incentives could reach upwards to 10 million in the final year of his contract. I think that when you start looking at it, 75% 75% buyout figure, and that's something that's gone hand-in-hand hand with a lot of the last two or three Auburn coaches. And I think that Hugh Freeze is going to wind up being worth every penny to the Auburn Tigers. Six years, again, is what you want to see from a stability standpoint when you hire and bring in someone like Hugh Freeze. Six and a half can get upwards to, to 10 mil. And again, when you win the national championship, if you're Hugh Freeze, you can get certain incentive clauses and bonuses. $2 million bonus if Auburn wins a national championship on top of that salary. So Auburn, I know they're tired of having the buyouts. And I think with Hugh Freeze, Again, the stability is there, and I think he's going to make a difference. 
Yeah, I should hope he makes a difference. <laughs> I mean, if he doesn't, well, that's there's a there's a bigger problem there. But well, there's uh, been a bigger problem at Auburn. Yeah, well, so I should hope Hugh Freeze makes a difference. Uh, but in all seriousness, uh, recruiting wise, and by all accounts, it seems like he's already bef- well well before he's even coached a game made uh made a huge difference. So yes, I do think that Hugh Freeze is gonna be great think he's gonna work out and uh we'll see how much he works out well just ways to find additional bonuses there for coaches and that's where having an agent comes hand in hand and it, it just makes it so very incentivizing for coaches to go ahead and, and find a way to compete at the top because you, when you start looking at, at contracts across the country if you had to pick out one coach that really has not lived up to the the amount that he's being paid. What what coach would you say that is, Michael Braun? One coach that has not lived up to his contract. Yes. And, and especially I'll I'll give you a little a little tidbit and I'll say it's probably one that's in the SEC. That is currently still working? Or, Correct. Or, that's or, currently or, working. Yes. Cuz the obvious absolutely. answer is Brian Harson. Hmm. Currently current, in, current. That's correct. In the SEC, I feel like it's uh, hmm. That's the no-brainer. Jimbo Fisher. Oh, Jimbo oh, Fisher. Well, yes, Michael so, Brown. Yeah, of course, of course. Jimbo yeah. Fisher, right there. That's the that's the that's gonna pop out. That should pop out to you immediately. Ten-year, fully guaranteed contract. How could I forget? Paying them ninety-five million through twenty thirty-one. It's the only reason why he hasn't been fired yet, because. Not that they couldn't afford the buyout, all that old money. But, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's why he hasn't been fi- – what, what would the buyout be, like $60 million still at this point? Some some ridiculous number like that. And if he had a normal contract, he probably would have been fired to this point. But if they're bad again this year, it probably won't matter. They'll, they'll probably just go ahead and pull the trigger. Well, I, I think that if he struggles this year and does not make a – a bowl game or is not a contention in the West. I, I think that eight wins is not enough. Nine wins is not enough for Jimbo Fisher. When you start talking about the guaranteed money, I think that he would just be just like Ed Orgeron and said, show me the door. Take me to the house. Well, Ed Orgeron at least won a national championship. It's funny because it's a different situation. Ed Orgeron won a national championship at LSU, then got the quote-unquote lifetime contract, whatever you want to call it. Obviously, it wasn't a lifetime sure. contract because he got fired two years later. But, uh, you know, they gave him his $16 million or whatever it was to go away. Uh, Jimbo gets uh, gets a, the 10-year deal from A&M, whatever it was, four years after his national championship with Florida State. And Jameis Winston's ri- really just made the career of Jimbo Fisher because I've, I've given this stat before, I, and I don't have the number exactly off the top of my head, but he hasn't had a top whatever, top 30 passing off- passing offense like once. Offensive career, offensive guru Jimbo Fisher besides when he had Jameis Winston. It, 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 is, it is pretty unreal how much Jameis Winston really made that man's career. You want to take Chuck real quick? Absolutely. Go ahead, Chuck. Hey, Corey, let, let me shift gears here and ask you a question. I know you uh, coached a good bit uh, in your career. Uh, coach, uh, fast pitch softball. No, I have not. Okay, well, he, I thought I'd get a good lean from you. I still might. Uh, here, here's what's troubling me. Um, Alabama and they've got a national championship winning coach in Pat Murphy. 
but he insists on not hiring a hitting coach. They're the only team in the Southeastern Conference. There's 13. Vanderbilt's the only team that doesn't have a program, softball program, that doesn't have a hitting coach. Doesn't it make sense that at that level you would need a hitting coach? I mean, we, you saw this weekend, doesn't make any difference how great your pitcher is, and I'm speaking of Montana Fouts. Sure. If you can't get her some runs, you're going to be in one of those ball games that you're going to lose two to one or three to one. And uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm not so sure it's not time to move on from uh, Mr. Murphy. So anyway, I'll, I'll hang up and listen to what you got to say. Okay. Gotcha. I think that Coach Murphy, he, he, his time at Alabama, he's one of those coaches that I, I think he, he can coach there as long as he wants to. And yeah. has he had the weapons in place that he needs? Absolutely, he's had the weapons in place that he needs. He has a phenomenal pitcher in Fouts and a historic pitcher. And, and it's meant more to Alabama athletic program than, than most athletes will. And she's one of those names that will go down forever. But – as far as hiring a hitting coach, if he feels that he's getting it done himself and has allowed that leniency by the athletic director in the program, I, I don't think he's going to wind up going anywhere. John Rochetti will be giving us an update on how things went. Of course, his golf report brought to us by Dan Hart, LLC, Engineered Product and Services. We'll talk to him next about what's going on in the world of golf. The final drive here with Corey Bounty and Michael Bronner continues. Hello, this is artist Daniel A. Moore. You are listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 and it's down now for the golf report brought to you by Dan Hart, LLC, Engineered Product and Services. And Rashetti, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, man. Doing really good. Uh, how are you guys doing? I'm, uh, I'm in Texas, Arcana. I don't know if I'm in Arkansas, Texas. One, you know, one time I get a, I get at a traffic light. I'm in Texas. I make a right turn. I'm in Arkansas. <laughs> when I'm in the great city of Texas, Arcana. Well, there was some great golf that went on, and there was a former Alabama All-American who was able to pick up his first PGA Tour victory on yesterday. Tell us all about it. Well, yeah, you're talking about uh, Davis Hardy, Nick Hardy, who won the Zurich Classic this weekend on a PGA Tour, which is a two-man best ball, uh, well, two-man team event, which uh, I guess has been going on now. It's been a while. Upwards of probably six to ten years now. Time flies, but uh, something different on the PGA Tour. You don't see this, but uh, yeah, Davis Riley played golf at the University of Alabama. Uh, was as you mentioned, All American. Uh, grew up in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and uh, he just uh, finally uh, broke through and was on the right. And even though it was a two-man event, it was him and Nick Hardy who played. Uh, collegially at the University of Illinois, a really good player, and uh, they both picked up their first PGA Tour wins. Yes, it comes with a two-year exemption, boatloads of cash, uh, bought in the you know the Masters and so forth the following year. So, congratulations to uh, Davis Riley. This guy's a really good player uh, that has got a great golf swing. For folks who uh, who don't know, you need to tune in and watch this guy hit a golf ball. He is really, really good, and I think uh, the future 
the ceiling is very high for Davis Raleigh for sure. Last week, we learned that Tiger was having ankle surgery and no timetable for his return. I think that that would give us a little insight as to why we saw him make the cut at the Masters, but then, of course, in the rain with that gait and that walk, just really struggle. Uh, yeah, Corey, I, I don't think we'll see him back this year. Uh, I, I just don't think. I think the next time we possibly see Tiger Woods will be Possibly at his tournament uh, in the Bahamas, if not, definitely with his son uh, at the PNC Championship, uh, the father-son. Uh, I just think that uh, he is he is very banged up, and and I've said it again. I think if he can ride in the golf course, I think Tiger Woods can compete on the PGA Tour. Uh, it's just that he just cannot walk right now, and the place to place to win on the PGA Tour is going to take 72 holes. Uh, but uh, hopefully he can get well. I don't know uh, what the future really bodes. I mean, there's been speculation, I think, uh, some people speculating here and there that maybe Tiger could be set to retire. Uh, from This could be the last straw of surgeries. He's had countless surgeries, but uh, hopefully not, and maybe this will mend the problem that he that will really help his problem. Maybe he'll be able to walk a little better. Maybe we can get a few more years out of Tiger Woods. John Liv Adelaide had quite the event over the weekend. It seemed like it was very well attended. I mean, the whole t they recreated the uh, waste management hole. It looked like a blast. I, I don't know. I mean, Liv, uh, Liv attendance seems to be doing well. What are your thoughts on the whole thing? Well, I tell you, it was a huge success this weekend, no question, down in Australia. Uh, you know, Taylor Gooch played. Let, let's get start there first. I mean, let's give credit where credit is due. You realize, realize he shot like 62-62. I was talking it over today with the guys, uh, the UAP, UAP golf team after the first round today, and uh, they were, you know, it's kind of like a hidden that he was 20 under par after two days. Uh, incredible golf by Tay. Even though he struggled yesterday, uh, he had a double-digit lead going into the final round, but he did preserve the victory in the, in the Five million dollar first place check, but uh, yeah, they were packed house. I think they had ninety thousand people attended. I seen the crowds and and so forth, and uh, you know, and all the players were loving it. So they might. We'll see. I think they're scheduled to go to Singapore, then they'll be back in the U.S. prior to the maybe or prior or after the PGA Championship. So we'll see what kind of effect that has on uh, on American. Uh, you know, on the on the U.S. side and see how that is. But it was no question about it, uh, Bronner, that it was a home run uh, live golf this weekend in Australia. No question about it. John Rachetti coming up right here after the final drive on WNSP 105.5. So everyone wants to make sure that they tune in to the Miller Lite John Rachetti Golf Show. And Rachetti, be safe, my friend, and look forward to talking to you again very soon. All right, you guys have enjoyed it, and keep up the good work. We'll talk to you guys next week. Absolutely. John Rachetti joining us this afternoon. And, Mike, we, we were talking one of the things that were fun to watch in regards to Alabama's A-Day is the unknown of what we were going to get at quarterback. But Coach Saban, he mentioned it, the, the fans coming out in over 58,000 in attendance at Alabama's A-Day game. Definitely 
up from last year's numbers or the last couple of years. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I, I know that, you know, one thing you can't control is the weather and nobody wants to be out in cold and rainy yeah, no conditions. But when you look at the situation from a recruiting standpoint, Ooh. the recruits absolutely love to see a, a nice bottom bowl full absolutely. and have the great weather and just really, really have an opportunity to soak in what it what would it feel like to put on the crimson and white. Oh, it was funny because, you know, my prior A-Day experiences have been pretty empty stadiums for the most part, which, you know, is whatever. It's it's a spring game, you understand. And so, uh, you know, I went up to Tuscaloosa this weekend, and we were, we were tailgating a little bit before. I was talking to my friends about what time do you guys think we need to head in. You know, the consensus was like 145, 150. Uh, it'll probably be empty. There generally aren't a lot of people that get to these things. So we got there right around the time, right before kickoff, we struggled to find a seat. It was unbelievable, man. It, it was just awesome to see. Like you said, the entire lower bowl was full. It just couldn't have been a more perfect weather day. It was just uh, it was just a great day, man. I, I, anytime getting to go into Bryant-Denny Stadium is an absolute treat, and the fact that there were actually fans in the stands, it, it was just a special day. Top of the next hour, we'll be talking to Zach Blackerby, and, of course, after talking to Zach, we'll get into a little Ryan Garcia versus Tank Davis and one of our Mobile's own had a prediction that would have made him a lot of money if that's the round that he said that it was in and of course other A-Day games were going on throughout the country one being Deion Sanders and the primetime effect is of course he was on the big station ESPN which relegated everyone else to ESPN plus and the broadcast wasn't so clean. So we'll talk about that next hour as well. The final drive here on Monday with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner joining you this Monday evening. And, of course, the Jets decided to trade for Aaron Rodgers. But we wouldn't trade Zach Blackerby, who's always locked on Auburn for anybody. And, Zach, good evening and welcome to the final drive. Well, just know, guys, I, I wouldn't be upset if you traded me for Aaron Rodgers as well. <laughs> I got you, my friend. Now, you know, I'm taking since, Blackerby in that trade. Yeah, we are. We're going to take Blackerby. Thanks, buddy. When you look at what – you know, You're very welcome, my friend. When you looked at your interview that you had with one T.J. Finley a week ago, I, I think that this, this interview, as far as where T.J. Finley's career is with Auburn, to me – by him saying it was a slap in the face and the fact that you look at 
TJ Finley's Instagram to where he compares himself to being crucified. I, I just don't think he's left a great taste in a lot of Auburn Tiger fans' mouths. Yeah, yeah, and just to clarify, that was that was locked on SEC's Chris Gordy that, that had him on. It was a really, really insightful interview that Chris did. And, uh, you know, it, I, I did think it was interesting, the whole, like, okay, they brought in two transfers, it was a slap in the face. And it's like, well, TJ, you, you were a transfer, too. Was it a slap in the face to other guys when Brian Harson brought you in? It, it was a weird Weird type of thing, and look, I appreciate the honesty, right? Because you know we always want to hear more from these players and give these players a voice instead of just kind of saying, you know, all this coach speak. So, like, I appreciate the honesty that he showed Gordy, but it's just, um, I don't know. I, I don't know if following a spring where Hugh Freeze's biggest kind of messaging about his quarterbacks was saying, hey, we need some guys to grow up. I don't know if that's how I would have really responded from it because I, I don't think that shows any type of leadership or maturity, and um, that's that's exactly what um that's I mean that's that's what TJ Finley did. Zach, what is the latest on Auburn? Speaking of TJ Finley, I guess uh, bringing in a possible quarterback in the transfer portal. Yeah, I, I think once the guy enters, they feel like makes the room better. I think they're going to be all about it. And it's going to be interesting. You know, this window that opened on the 15th that you know closes in six days, there's going to be a lot of guys that enter after it. And by enter, I mean, I mean, grad transfers, you don't have to, like, publicly enter the portal, right? You can just leave if you graduate. And so T.J. Finley's in that group. You know, he talked about it with media towards the end of spring. He said he graduates in June, so he could leave whenever. Um, and there's going to be other quarterbacks throughout college football and other players throughout college football that graduate in the uh, in the spring, and then they're able to to kind of go on and and do whatever they need to do, possibly at a new school. So, um, I don't know if it's necessarily going to happen this week, Bronner, but I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked if Auburn went into the season with the quarterback room as it currently sits. Well, I think you would be shocked along with many others. And what we weren't shocked yeah. about was to see the fact that Hugh Freeze's contract was officially made public. Six and a half million dollars over the six-year deal with an opportunity to have up to $10 million and a lot of incentives there. Of course, $2 million for winning a national championship. I I'm just intrigued by the amount of money that Auburn has had to cough over and with their buyout clauses for their other previous coaches. And do you think coming in, administration was a little bit shy saying, all right, well, we want to give you a six-year deal, or do you have to give a six-year deal just to show stability to the recruits? Yeah, I mean, and, and once again, like this is always a fun conversation because, like, it's not, it's not real money. And also, it's not Auburn's money. You know, this buyout, like, people always freak out when ticket prices go up because of the buyout. Like, no, it's not. The buyout money, Auburn has the buyout money. It's not like that came from Auburn's athletic department. All that's funded through through boosters and, and, and things like that. And do the boosters love spending that money? I don't know. They probably love saying they get, a you know, a little bit of a say. So it kind of goes hand in hand on, you know, what exactly that looks like. They probably feel like they get influence. 
And Hugh Freeze is going to listen to boosters, unlike, you know, previous staff. And so some Auburn fans, you know, that, that makes them upset. But, I mean, it just kind of is what it is. It's the nature of it. So um, I, I, don't think, I don't think Auburn's in a money issue situation, if, that, if, that, if that's your question. No, it's not a, a money situation. It's just a situation where when you start looking at the, the amount that is being paid to coaches that didn't produce on their end, that's where I think it becomes frustrating to a lot of Auburn fans. And when you do start looking at the frustration that has been seen by Auburn's baseball team this year, they were able to go ahead and get a huge series win against the Mississippi State Bulldogs, one which was a must win for the team that if you want to continue to contend and have a chance to make the SEC tournament. Yeah, yeah, or at least make a run for sure. The um, the schedule doesn't get easier, though, right? And so I, I think that's certainly why it, it felt like a must-win, Corey, because, you know, South Carolina and LSU, they're both really, really good. LSU's the best team in the country, and South Carolina may think they are, and they've got a good case for it, too. So, you know, how, uh, how does Auburn fare against either of those? We'll certainly see. It's just the, the bullpen – has been atrocious, but this Auburn team, even even in losses, they they do not give up. And you know, over the course of a three game series, sometimes that wears down the opposing team, and, that, and that's what we saw with Mississippi State this past weekend. And you know, Mississippi State's not a good baseball team. Like let, let's be honest, they're they're having a down year. Um, but you know, Auburn Auburn's not a very good baseball team, as the girlie says right now either. So. They feel like they feel like they're they're two pitchers away. Joseph Gonzalez seems like he's two or three weeks away from potentially coming back, assuming he does come back. And that six innings in a weekend, in theory, that you don't have to worry about. And so maybe that kind of allows Auburn to be a little bit deeper in, in that rotation. And maybe it allows you to have a guy, maybe like a Bauman or somebody like that, that can maybe – come into the game in the sixth inning instead of starting on a Saturday. Or, you know, a Zach Crotchfeld who started on Sunday, who's a really, really talented freshman, but it's like probably shouldn't be starting on the weekend in the SEC quite yet. He's a really good piece, but probably not a starter and maybe a year away. So I think if you can get Joseph Gonzalez back by the end of the season, I think it helps answer a lot of questions about this pitching staff. But, I mean, is it too little too late? You know, if Auburn's trying to get – into the postseason, they need to they need to win some games now, and then obviously go on a pretty incredible run. I would think in the SEC tournament. Talking to Zach Blackerby, locked on Auburn. Zach, uh, after a getting back to the transfer portal for a second, after a phenomenal spring game mm-hmm. performance from um, Colorado receiver, now former Colorado receiver Montana Lamonius Craig, pretty much immediately entered the transfer portal. Not really something you see, but he did get an offer from Auburn a few hours ago. Do you give Auburn any chance to land him? I think so. I think Auburn's probably the favorite right now. And, I, you know, it's going to be fun to see what all this looks like in regards to, you know, previous relationships. You know, getting second or third with guys come out of high school and when they enter the portal a few years later, does that hold? Auburn was the only SEC team to offer this kid going out of high school. Obviously, didn't choose Auburn. But, uh, you know, I, I got a few texts from folks close to the program. They feel good about this guy when they enter the portal. So, um, Auburn feels good about their chances with him. It's clear that Auburn's in the market for more receivers. You see them going after um, the TCU kid. They're going to try to get him on campus for an official visit this weekend. But Auburn needs more pass catchers. I don't think there's any 
any question about it. And so, you know, if they keep showing interest in all these receivers, how does the rest of the Auburn receiving room respond, right? We saw Tavares Dawson enter the portal very early on that Saturday on the 15th when it opens. Um, I'm a little shocked that he's been the only one so far. Um, maybe, maybe after they get a few more visits, assuming they do get a few more visits from receivers, maybe more guys follow. I think that's a position to watch for sure. Well, draft week is here, probably the best week of the year, and I'll resist the temptation to ask you what the Patriots are going to do at 14. We can talk about that off air. But uh, in all seriousness, it seems like Ekuliota and Ompapo are probably like late picks if, if drafted at all, but how early do you expect Derek Hall to go? Uh, you know, I, I've seen a few people say Derek Hall could sneak into the first round. I'm not, wow. I don't know if I'm buying that, but I do think he's a day-two guy. Um and I think Colby Wooden, I think people are sleeping on him. And I talked to a few scouts down in, in Mobile um, for the week of the Senior Bowl, hanging out with you guys down there. I, I went to a few team scouts. I just walked up to them like, hey, help me out here. I cover Auburn. Why isn't Colby Wooden getting any love? And they looked at me and they're like, I don't know. But I'm glad nobody's talking about him because we, we were certainly watching him. And I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. So two different teams told me that. So we'll certainly see. I'm not saying he's a first-round pick by any means, but – a lot of people think Colby wins like an early day three pick. Wouldn't be shocked if he went Friday night. That's kind of one of my quote-unquote bold predictions there. Um, seeing a few seven-round mocks that have Tank as the first Auburn player drafted, and I think that would just mean Derek Hall definitely slipped farther than he probably thought he would go. I think that would be a little bit of a surprise, but it would be certainly interesting to see what happens there. And, guys, I, with Owen, I think Owen gets drafted. I don't think Ekuliota does, but I think Owen gets drafted. His, his traits are too good. His traits are too special. There's going to be an NFL team that loves him in the third, fourth, or fifth round, I think. We'll certainly see. But, um, yeah, I, I think I think Auburn should feel good about Owen Papo, Tank Bigsby, Colby Wood, and Derek Hall this weekend. Well, when you start also looking at what Auburn was able to accomplish in their A-Day game or their spring game a couple of weeks ago, some of the faces that Auburn fans would really say, okay, these guys came in early, and I think that they benefited the most by being early enrollees. And what would, as an Auburn fan, those names that we can look forward to in the summer and moving forward to in the fall – to continue to pop up on people's radars. Cool. We just talking about early enrollees from high school, like Ye true freshman yes, guys. Absolutely. That we're talking true, about? Yes, sir. Yeah. So Kay and Lee, I think he's got a chance to push for a starting job in the fall. Um, the corner was committed to Ohio state, flipped to Auburn on early signing day. Um, Keldrick Falk, obviously ended up getting that fifth star from rivals. The only five star in Auburn's class. He and Elijah McAllister, the, the Vanderbilt transfer, they're going to rotate at edge by the end of the season he may have a chance to start if he can kind of develop we'll certainly see what that looks like physically he's ready i don't think he's mentally quite there it's just a lot to take the true freshman as you guys know and then connor lou um was committed to to miami another flip uh for hugh freeze and the staff and he's got a chance he he's naturally a center right uh, some folks thought he was the best center in high school football last year or at least in this class and Miami thought that, and Auburn was able to pluck him away. I think he's in a perfect situation to be the backup center for Avery Jones, who's only got one year left eligibility to transfer from, from Eastern Carolina. But Hugh Freeze has put him at guard some. You know, Can he compete for one of those guard spots? I think that's going to be certainly a guy to watch, too. So I think all three of those guys are going to be starters or at least rotational pieces that, uh, that Auburn fans need to know about for sure.
Well, Zach, how can people follow all your coverage and the great job that you do each and every day in regards to having things really locked on Auburn? Yeah, yeah. Well, Locked on Auburn, available wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. And then uh, all of our written work is at AuburnDaily.com. That's SI's Auburn coverage. And then we just recently launched um, the Atlanta Braves site, BravesToday.com. That's in partnership with Sports Illustrated as well. So, um, yeah, we're kind of uh, we're kind of all over the place. Zach, want to thank you for joining us this evening on the final drive and look forward to talking to you soon. Hey, thank you so much, guys. Yeah, talk to you all soon. Zach Blackerby joining us this evening on the final drive. And when we come back, we'll talk a little Ryan Garcia versus Tank Davis and their boxing match this weekend and play a little audio there. And, of course, Jalen Hurts, we know he's one of the richest men in NFL football. We'll hear what he actually had to say as he had a press conference today with the Philadelphia Eagles. All that, plus the NBA playoffs, a little update on some ongoing action in the NBA, all coming up on the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. member of the Auburn family. When I'm in Mobile, I listen to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And, you know, sometimes you can't catch a break. Sometimes you make breaks for yourself. But Alabama men's basketball team can't stay out of the news in regards to negative publicity or bringing the Tuscaloosa Police Department in on them. Their latest signee from Wichita State, Jaquan Walton, has been charged with second-degree possession of marijuana. And that's a month after he decided to come in from Wichita State. Of course, Jaquan played basketball high school wise at Carver Montgomery went on to Georgia and things didn't work out there and had an opportunity to go to Shelton State but Michael Bronner not exactly the news that you're hoping for if you're Nate Oates knowing that one of your new signees someone that you're probably going to depend on Jaquan Walton gets arrested Saturday night on the strip in Tuscaloosa yeah yeah, certainly, uh, certainly not ideal there. Um, I, I mean, the fact that had multiple guns—I, I don't know. I mean, have to look more into the situation. Have to read. It was Ryan Phillips that just reported it. Our, our resident uh, and, and reporter he's, he there. He does an so. outstanding job. And, and and you know, I mean, again, you know, the marijuana charge a misdemeanor. And of course, now you know when firearms are collected. It, it's not illegal to have a firearm uh, because there really is no pistol permit now in the state of Alabama. But, you know, just not great news for the Alabama men's basketball program. And, and it's kind of like damage control. You, you just want to have that squeaky clean program in between the end of the season coming up short the way that you did. Definitely anything dealing with the police department and legally, you want all your players to stay clean and you know of course Jaquan Walton will have his say so in court but just to be arrested and charged and then to find firearms 
that that's just another black eye for the University of Alabama men's basketball team. Yeah, no, it's uh, kind of the exact last thing the Alabama men's basketball team needs. So we'll see if Jaquan Walton actually ends up playing a game for the Alabama basketball team. Uh, just uh, a very unfortunate headline there. Love to be talking about the fact that Alabama brought in Latrell Wrightsell and Aaron Estrada over the weekend. But no, here we are talking about uh, an arrest involving marijuana and firearms for Alabama. It's I, I don't even really I mean there's no spin for that that it's just uh over and over again I I really don't even know what to say to be to be honest I'm I'm kind of at a loss for words there well I know if you're at a loss for words you know again imagine how the athletic director at Alabama fields Nate Oates feels Jaquan Walton again you know is an adult and when you make those type of choices especially whether you're with someone who's doing it or doing it yourself it's just it does definitely brings a black eye to the University of Alabama basketball program. And it's going to be a great headline moving forward. You know, it's not a great look for Nate Oates either. I know he's not in control of what his players do and the actions that they have. But sooner or later, it's not like when you have a football team with 75 or 80 guys. The judge of character, when it's smaller, when you have 10 to 12 to 13 guys, I think it becomes easier to say, okay, a better judgment of character there. Um, and a horrible decision by Jaquan Walton to to have any marijuana on his possession. And I think that when it plays itself out, the, will it be a slap on the wrist? Will it become ineligible? Will that open up a scholarship? Those are questions that yeah. will be too determined that, that are going to have to be answered here pretty soon. Yeah, I, I don't know if anyone listening happened was in Tuscaloosa on, on Saturday night. I mean, situation got pretty out of hand. They had to shut down the strip. So I, I don't know if Jaquan Walton got caught up in something, but uh, it was kind of like un unlike anything I've ever seen, just in, in terms of not a national championship, just a congestion of pure amount of people out there. It, it was It was pretty ridiculous. So... Um, you know, they had shut things down pretty early, so I, I would be curious to find out exactly what happened with Walton. But, yeah, again, just another bad headline surrounding Alabama basketball at a time where they really don't need bad headlines. Well, credit again, Ryan Phillips, for breaking that story there, and we'll continue to follow his work on thepatch.com to continue to see what the legal ramifications will be for one Jaquan Walton and the Alabama Crimson Tide men's basketball program and while we're staying in the sec when we come out of this break the sec we saw fans storm the field both the times that the crimson tide were defeated this season but the sec decides that money may not be the answer to keeping fans off the field we'll talk about that and again ryan garcia and tank davis coming up along with Jalen Hurts, his opinions about his new $255 million contract. Hi, this is Saran Stacy. You're listening to WNSB 105.5. fifth-year senior or a freshman, if you're the guy that can go out there, and if you took all the players on our team, you think the players on our team don't know who the best players are? They absolutely do. All right, so if you're a coach and you don't play the best players, you're not going to have the respect of your team because they know who the best players are. They know who, who that ha they have confidence in. They know who they trust. 
and respect that are going to go be able to be accountable to do their job. Can't lose sight of that. So it really it has nothing to do with age. It has everything to do with accountability. And are you dependable to go out there and do your job? Whether a good thing happens or a bad thing happens, you got to play the next play. So, um, you know, we use all these things as learning experiences so guys do grow and develop the kind of maturity they need so that they can play in difficult circumstances. And obviously guys with experience should be able to do that better, but they have to prove that they can do it just like the young guys do. Nick Saban talking about just the best players on the football field. And when you start looking at the best players on the football field on Saturday's A-Day game, did you think it was Jalen Milrow? Did you think it was Eli Holstein or Dylan Lonergan? Lonergan's playing baseball for the Crimson Tide as a pitcher as well, so he's going to be pulling double duty. Or do you think it was a young, true freshman who was the best player on the football field? And, he, and it, like Nick Saban said, he's not looking at age to command respect or to teammates to know who's the best player in Alabama's locker room at different positions. Strong words from Nick Saban. Yeah, I'll just tell you right now, Caleb Downs is the best player on the field at 8A, uh, which is kind of unbelievable to say, but is the truth. I Caleb Downs, again, you know, it's, it's just a scrimmage, it's a practice, but uh, he was effectively running with what will be the first team secondary, you know, who's on the team with uh, Kool-Aid and Terry and Arnold and Malachi Moore, so you know pencil that pencil that in that that does matter he was actually named i believe as one of the mvps of the spring i mean they give out like 25 awards after the game if you stick around for the awards but yeah uh caleb downs is uh, i'm pretty sold that he's going to be that guy uh quarterback wise i think the two freshmen were, were, were pretty good as well but caleb downs freshman safety out of, out of uh out of georgia he's he's the real deal man He's going to be a contributor on this defense, and I think he's actually going to be more than a contributor. I think he's going to be kind of the crown jewel of this defense already as a freshman. He's pretty special. Well, I think that, you know, again, when you start looking at the takeaways, you you can't sit here and say, okay, I, I know that Alabama has found or we know who the starting quarterback without question is going to be. Yeah. Uh, and that's how it's been in the past. I think that we knew – for the last decade, who Alabama's starting quarterback was going to be, who was going to lead us out of the tunnel. And, yes, there might have been some solid competition nipping at your heels, but we still knew who the guy was. And coming out of this spring practice and going into the fall, I think Drew DeArmond said it best that come Middle Tennessee, I think there will be split, split opportunities to see who plays the best to get ready for Texas. Alabama's biggest challenge early in the season of Texas. Yeah, and, and, and I hope that's not the case. In that, And the reason I hope that is, is because I hope someone separates themselves over the summer and in fall camp. Like I hope just someone elevates their play enough so that it's pretty clear and obvious to all the coaches who that QB1 is. You know, I hope that it's not the case of they don't know up, up until a week before the season. And, and uh, you know, obviously you could throw any of the four guys out there for Middle Tennessee State and, and it's going to be fine. They would win the game. But 
Come Texas, that that's not the case. I, I think Texas. I'm buying the hype on Texas a little bit this year. I think yours is that good. They have an elite trio of receivers. They're gonna come into Brian Denny and put up some points. So uh, you, you better have that guy ready to go, whoever it is, whether it's Simpson, whether it's Milrow, whether it's Eli Holstein or Dylan Lonergan. I don't think that's likely, but we talked about it earlier. I, I think this, if you take anything away from a day it's that neither of those two have separated themselves it could turn into more than a two-man race uh these two freshmen are talented and, and we'll see if either of them can throw their name in the ring I, I think i thought it was interesting you know luke robinson last thursday i think dylan lonergan has kind of really been an afterthought for a lot of the spring he was uh a highly rated recruit but eli holstein has certainly been the one that a lot of people are talking about and i thought they were both impressive uh on saturday but lonergan I think has has a lot of game. I, I really like him. I, I think he can I, – I, I, I hesitate to go so far as to say he can push for the starting job because I don't really think he can. But I don't know. I, I mean, if, if one guy's going to separate themselves, I'm not going to be shocked if one of these freshmen really elevates their play. And I don't have a strong preference over Hol, uh, between Holstein and Lonergan like I might have – in Holstein like a couple weeks ago. Well, I think it was important to see your third and fourth string have an opportunity to see if they would be able to move the offense at all. And I think what everybody really wanted to see is that type of footage that we saw earlier with Ja'Cory Brooks beating Kool-Aid McKinstry. We wanted to see a couple of throws like that from Jalen Milrow. I think, or Ty Simpson, that's what everyone wanted to see. Those threading of the needles, one-on-ones, or twos versus twos, and having an opportunity to make that spectacular play yeah. that made you say, okay, we can play these on the highlight reel over and over and over again to where all summer long that's all we're seeing here for the next three months, and we didn't see that. Well, there was the play, and it was interesting. I We were running out of time with Drew DeArmond, so I didn't get a chance to disagree with him, but he talked about the drop that, and I call it, I, I don't even really call it a drop, but quote-unquote drop that Jermaine Burton had on what should have been a Ty Simpson 40-yard touchdown. If you're And if you're listening, I don't, I don't know how much of the game you watch, but go back and check it out if you have a chance. On what should have been a touchdown to Jermaine Burton, I thought Ty Simpson left it really short. And uh, kind of short-armed it a little bit. And if had he put it in the back of the end zone, Bur Burton kind of had to stop. And the play ended up getting broken up. So you can call it, yeah, it would have been a heck of a play if he came down with it. I didn't really consider it to be a drop. And there was a play that Ty Simpson missed. I believe it was also Burton long when he was wide open in the corner of the end zone for what would have been like a 20-yard touchdown. So both quarterbacks made mistakes. Both quarterbacks did good things. Like we said about Milrow earlier, I think Milrow made the best throw of the day on the 36-yard touchdown to Emmanuel Henderson in the corner of the end zone that was he just dropped it in a bucket it could have been a more perfect throw but then at this at the uh towards the end of the first half he he made probably the worst throw of the day on an interception that just made you say who 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 was he even remotely trying to throw that to was it just a bad read was it could was it that inaccurate of a throw i certainly hope not because it was literally near no one wearing white so i i mean again I don't think either of these quarterbacks have really separated themselves. I do think the freshmen have a chance to make a push. I don't think that they'll either of them have a real chance to earn the starting job. But, I mean, if it's to be believed that neither of these two guys have really uh, taken the job and seized control, then maybe they, maybe they do make a push. Well, I, I tell you what was funny, though, in regard to the A-Day game. I, unless you, you said you made it into the stadium probably 10 or 15 minutes yeah. prior to kickoff, 
when, when you start having a chance to put your hand prints and your foot mm. and your cleat prints next to Denny Chimes, and when you see the type of athlete that Anderson is, for him Big to <laughs> almost fall, putting his foot in the concrete there, and then Jordan Battle accidentally stepping on the patch that was reserved for Will Anderson's hand and cleat print, those two instances were pretty funny to me in regards to the hiccups that were going. And, of course, Bryce Young was not able to attend. and <laughs> No reason was given there because a lot of people definitely wanted to yeah. see him. But we have a caller on the air for the final drive. Caller, good evening and welcome to the final drive. Hey, Corey, what's up? Good afternoon. Hey, man, um, I love me some Alabama football, but from the look of that, I think there might be some trouble at quarterback. I think they better – the defense and running game is going to have to carry them this year because I don't think any one of those quarterbacks uh, – the two the two and Bryce years, I think we took for granted. I think them okay. days are over. I agree. I, I, I agree with you there in regards to – I think maybe this year – I said it earlier, you may have someone that's labeled more as a game manager than that dude because we all know Tua was that dude. Jalen was that dude. Of course, Bryce, the greatest Alabama quarterback ever. And when you don't have that designated dude there, it's really going to have Alabama to where they're in a situation to me to where I don't have a problem with game management. As long as you win the game, you can label me as whatever you want to label me as. But just make sure that yeah, you're not hurting I'm right the team. There, I'm, yeah, I'm right there with you on the game manager. But, man, I'm telling you, Caleb Downs and Justin, Justin Haynes, I'm telling you, those two kids, but they are stuck. There was a lot of dr- – quarterback-wise, Patrick, there, there, there were a lot of drops, man. I mean uh, – Let's uh, let let's do have that in perspective. It was just eight. I mean, they're the receivers. I thought were more of a concern, frankly, than than the quarterback play. Oh well, yeah. When the receivers were concerned last year, they got no separation, and you really don't have any really new guys except the that junior college transfer. But man, if you can't, I mean, they don't have to have a you know a four two four three guy if you can't get on the ball. No doubt. Yeah, I agree there, and that's that's the biggest thing that I think that Nick Saban is really emphasized and focused on making sure you're patient enough to to go through those reads and to make every read before you go ahead and you take off running. I just, I don't know. I, I, I thought that there were a lot of, th- I mean, there were, I don't, I don't have the number to- off the top of my head, but there were like 10 drops between all four quarterbacks and like, yeah, I mean, you can't get the receivers, the ball, you can't get the receivers, the ball. I thought Milrow had some rockets that were dropped. I thought Simpson had some rockets that were dropped. I think DeArmond said it earlier. I mean, Jermaine Burton, Man, oh man! I, I, I mean, it felt like at the Sugar Bowl, he had his best game of the year. This is the time he starts to kind of separate him—not separate himself, but kind of. It's good that he's coming back. He, he's going to come back and establish a consistent level of play that has Alabama, uh, you know, at, at least in com- competitive with a with a very good wide receiver room and led by Jermaine Burton, or at least one of the three receivers uh, starting on the field and. I, I don't know. He he just seems to have not elevated. I I just don't want to take too much away from that. But a couple of bad I'm not drops. Taking, and- I'm not taking anything away from the A-Day game besides Alabama definitely has to improve from a situation of that leader. Because, again, we as Alabama fans have become spoiled knowing that yeah. we have that guy. That guy that the rest of the SEC and the rest of the country were putting on notice to where he's at the top of that Heisman ballot year in and year out. And, 
you know, when you look at the numbers, 19 out of 37, 245 yards, two touchdowns and two interceptions for Milro. And then you flip that over to Simpson, 12 out of 26, 155 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. Now, either that says to me, based on those numbers, and again, you had a couple of other closed scrimmages that were full pads, and it would have been basically the same type of 8A crowd without any fans or media, and you see the numbers are even better. But protection of the football is what's going to be important. Yeah. And making sure that you go through all your reads, because we've had those wide receivers the last decade that are are those NFL guys that are are going in the first round in the top 10 picks from a wide receiver standpoint. And you look at that roster right now, to me, Ja'Cory Brooks is the best wide receiver for Alabama right now. I mean, we'll see what happens with Malik Benson. I'm certainly very, very, very intrigued. And obviously he didn't do much on A-Day until that last drive, which take it with a grain of salt because who knows who he was actually going against in terms of the quality of third team. Maybe even some walk-ons were out there at that point. Uh, But he did kind of take over that drive himself, and Milrow was going to him, going to him, going to him, going to him four times in a row. But, yeah, to your point uh, about the quarterbacks – I think what needs to be understood at this point, and it is a really, really, really difficult pill to swallow, is that there's just going to be a drop-off in the level of quarterback play this season, Proud, based on what it's been for the past six, seven years. There, there just is, and that's, that's reality. And whether Alabama can weather that storm and how much the level of dro- uh, drop-off at quarterback play is going to be the question. Because like, you're coming off the Bryce Young era. I think Bryce Young elevated the team more so than any other quarterback to ever wear crimson. So, Well, you're going to get a chance real quick with Texas coming to Tuscaloosa September 9th to find yeah, out. I, Middle Tennessee, split reps. No problem with that. Yeah. But going into that Texas game, you're hoping that you don't have to split reps. Yeah. Because now you're having to make a decision going into week two, and then week three, you're at South Florida, and then you jump into SEC play with Ole Miss. So excited about the battle that's going to be ongoing. Did I see enough to say, yes, Alabama easily, preseason number one, go ahead and chalk no it up? Way. I don't think anyone did. No. And no, I, I, I think that. Five. Absolutely. And and again, preseason polls are exactly that. And we'll continue to talk all summer long how Alabama will continue to improve what they need to do to improve. But one thing's for sure, the NFL draft party walk-ons is where we will be on Thursday. The final drive from three to six. We would love to see all our listeners. You can come out and get you a free T-shirt and have an opportunity to be general manager for the night picks one through 10 you get those correctly have an opportunity to win the Traeger grill on top of a Bryce Young jersey we'll come up for the last segment here of the final drive want to play you some audio from the Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis fight along with quick comments by Jalen Hurts today as well in his official press conference since he signed the 255 million dollar contract the final drive will be right back Hi, this is Bo Manning, my co-producer of Training Days, Rolling with the Tide. You're listening to WNSP 105.5 Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And this weekend, Ryan Garcia. We love our smoked ribs down here in the South. But he caught 
a nice shot from Tank Davis, and it was in the seventh round, but before the fight, DeMarcus Cousins chimed in on what round he thought the fight would be over. So, man, we in the building tonight for the Tank Garcia fight. Uh, on Tank, seventh round with a knockout. DeMarcus Cousins predicting Tank Davis with a knockout in the seventh round. Well, that's the exact round that it ended. So that was pretty interesting. And, you know, when you start looking at the fight, Mike, I was excited, but you had to know that Tank was going to go ahead and take care of business. And, and that's exactly what he remained to do. And the best pound-for-pound pound fighter right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people were excited about this one. And uh, was it a rib shot he gave him? and he it, 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 Smoked it was, his ribs. It was weird. It, he, like, kind of was still standing up and uh, really just, like, crumbled a few, uh, like, like a full 10 it's seconds that delayed later. reaction yeah. when you take that body shot that body blow he tried to take a couple of deep breaths and he couldn't do so yeah smothered him up man we love our ribs smoked and <laughs> smothered and that's exactly what he gave my man garcia and you know jalen hurts is now the largest paid quarterback in nfl history he actually had a press conference today to actually talk about it for the first time three years ago today you know, Mr. Lurie and Howard had the courage to draft me um, when no one really understood why. Um, no one qu no one knew why. Um, and I think just to have the opportunity to grow and, to, you know, grow into a, a man, you know, I, I've uh, grown into a young, the young man that I am today. Um, I couldn't do it in another place. Um, and I couldn't imagine this being another way. You know, so it's a, it's a hell of an opportunity for us all. Jalen Hurts excited to be untradeable by the Philadelphia Eagles, $255 million richer, and will try to go ahead and win their first Super Bowl as he is the starting quarterback. Of course, Philly wins a couple of years ago, but Jalen Hurts mm -hmm. now with this big million, $255 million contract worth every penny couldn't happen to a better guy. You had to sneak that a couple years ago in, didn't you? Hey, no question about it. Hey, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles got it done and represented. And today, Drew DeArmond joined us today to talk about the Alabama A-Day game. And Zach Blackerby also joined us, locked on Auburn, gave us some great insight. Tomorrow, we'll have Richie Riley on talking about the South Alabama Jaguars and the NBA action. Chris Gordy. We'll be joining us, and we talking spring I'm football. I'm excited for talking spring football. I, I'm always curious to hear Scott's perspective. I'm I can't wait to hear what he says about the drops and the quarterback, how he evaluates the quarterback performances, what he has to say about Dylan Lonergan, Eli Holstein. It's going to be great stuff. By the way, you know, probably the most underrated part about the walk-ons event on Thursday. Come out, by the way, from come out see our show from three to six but also come out at six and fill out your thing you're going to get a t-shirt if you come out so you know future ones really hooking us up there so pretty much if you come out you're going to get a wnsp t-shirt so why wouldn't you come brand out? new wnsp t-shirts hot off the press from future ones so we look forward to doing our show the final drive from three to six at walk-ons and again get a chance to win and register for a traeger Grill valued at $1,200 along with the Bryce Young jersey. And a, an hour after we go off the air, we'll probably hear his name called as the number one overall pick in the 2023 NFL draft. So looking forward to seeing everyone 
at Walk-Ons on Thursday for sure. want to thank everyone for chiming in here on the final drive. And again, tomorrow, don't forget Richie Riley, Chris Gordy, talking spring football with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner will be present with us to give their perspectives on Alabama and Auburn entering the summer and the fall camps and that will be the last talk in spring football so look forward to hearing what they have to say giving an analysis for us going into the offseason the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 for Michael Broner I'm Corey Labounty see you tomorrow